Well, as Pastor Don mentioned, our sermon text this evening is coming from verse 5. Verse 5 of that same chapter, John chapter 19. Let me read it one more time for you there in your pew Bibles on page 1152. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Let us pray one more time and ask for the Spirit's help. Father in heaven, we do come to this, your living and breathing word, for you have breathed these words to us so that we might hear, so that we might believe, so that we might be sanctified. Would you give us an outpouring of your spirit? You tell us in Luke chapter 19 that if we need more of your spirit, just ask and you will give it to us. And so we are asking, Lord, that you would send your spirit so that we might have proper understanding, so that we might see Christ, see him clearly. And that we would see ourselves and see our sins, see our shortcomings. And know, O Lord, that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us as we come confessing and believing uh, in this man named Jesus. Father, would you make application to us this night so that we might walk in holiness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've ever uh, heard me preach in any sort of uh, consecutive weeks, maybe I might say, uh, you'll know that I am obsessed with this word, behold. Now, of course, that comes because I studied under Dr. Mark Ross there at Erskine Seminary in Columbia, and each and every time we would approach a text that had this word, behold, he would be speaking in a very monotone way in class, but then when he came to this singular word, he would shout out, behold. I remember one night as we were reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we had many bivocational uh, ministers studying under Dr. Mark Ross there in Columbia. And one individual was, uh, must have been pretty tired because they began to sleep in the back of the class and Dr. Ross screamed out, Behold, so loud that they fell from their chair. And he said, This is exactly what the Gospel writers want you to do. When you see this word, behold, it's a shaking, a calling awake, drawing your attention to what is about to happen, what is about to be said, because it is spectacular in every way. You know, we've approached this word many times as we've been on Sunday mornings as a church looking at the life and the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And you remember as Elijah calls the fire from heaven... Uh, There in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says, And behold, fire fell from heaven. And even when Elijah was about to be called up into the heavens, it said, Behold, a flaming chariot with angelic hosts riding on horses called him up into glory. Behold, notice what is about to happen. And maybe it seems kind of anticlimactic here for us to draw attention to this This phrase, behold the man. Because we're used to angelic armies. We're used to fire falling from heaven. We're used to seeing the angelic hosts break the sky and begin to proclaim the good news of great joy for all people. And yet, Pilate here speaks way beyond his means. When he draws your attention, he awakens you to see the man Jesus. You know, here it is that one commentator said that Pilate, though he was an ungodly man, 
preached a number of sermons. And in the midst of his ungodliness, and in the midst of some of the most ungodly acts that we could ever imagine, he proclaims a truth here without even knowing it. Because he draws your attention first to a statement of the facts. A statement of the facts. That's our first major point here as we look at these three words. Behold the man. Because he speaks here about Jesus' humanity. He speaks here about Jesus' humanity. You know, it's a very basic gospel truth that Jesus was fully human. He had a body like us. He had skin and flesh like us. He had eyes and ears and a nose and mouth, hands and feet, all of our internal organs exactly like you and me. He had human senses. He could taste, see, and smell and hear And when people looked at him, they saw a man. He looked like an ordinary man. You could pass him on the street, we might say, and not give him a second look. And therefore, Pilate, as he draws your attention to the man, Jesus Christ, he's speaking way beyond his means, but he is drawing your attention to the humanity of our Savior. And this shouldn't you know, shock us in any way. We've heard men like John the Baptist say there at the River Jordan, there comes after me a man whose shoes I am unworthy to untie. The Apostle Peter, as he preaches on the day of Pentecost, he says, and there was a man who was approved by God among you, and he did mighty wonders and deeds, but you put this man to death. And then, of course, all throughout the Apostle Paul's letters, he begins to speak about the man, Christ Jesus, and how this man was the atonement for sin. And so we need to be reminded of that basic gospel truth that Jesus was, as the Nicene Creed says, truly God, but also truly man. And not only did he have a body like us, a body like a man, but he had every human experience like us too. Not only did he look like your average Joe walking down the street, but he lived like a man. He spoke like a man. He felt like a man. He grew up like a man. He was born of a virgin there uh, in the manger as we celebrate every Christmas season as an infant. And then he grew up to the age of a toddler, and then he grew up to a teenager, and then to a young man. And even as he stands here before Pilate, he is a man in his mid-thirties. And he has experienced life. He knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty, and he knew what it was like to eat and drink. He knew what it was like to need sleep, to need rest, And he knew what it was like to be refreshed in his body. He knew what it was like to grow in humility and stature. He knew what it was like to grow up in the truths of the faith. He was fully man. And in fact, I would argue that in him we can find the truest picture of manhood possible in this world. And so as as Pilate draws your attention to this man, behold the man... We need to notice that he was truly man. And yet, at the same time, we need to be reminded that he was the God-man. 
As we've talked about the Nicene Creed already, we must remember those words. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, the Creed says. This powerful, majestic God is now Word made flesh here amongst us. And Him being truly God and truly man does not confuse either His humanity nor His deity. We have the perfect union of of God and man here in front of us, being displayed before us, drawing our attention to Him and seeing that He is a man who is experiencing real, true suffering. That's the second thing we need to see. It's not just a statement of facts that Pilate is drawing your attention to, but it's also an experience of suffering that Pilate is drawing his attention to. You know, I was reminded as I was preparing for this short meditation, the words of Job as he says, man is born into suffering even as the sparks fly upwards. Meaning it is a guarantee that to be man means that you will suffer in every way. To be a human means that you will live in a world that brings about trouble and strife. And that was the case with Jesus. As we read in Isaiah chapter 53, He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That means He had a familiar feeling. He knew what it was like to have His heart broken. He knew what it was like to be full of fear. He knew what it was like to to suffer. And be full of anguish even before this scene where he is falsely accused and tried in the midst of the night and beaten and scolded and ridiculed. Because if you just let your eyes fall through the text that Pastor Don read for us, this full chapter, John chapter 19, it is this this full picture of, of suffering. You see, even in our own text, verse 5, that he has a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe that has now clothed his beaten back. Furthermore, throughout the, throughout the text, we see humiliation after humiliation. We see scourging after scourging. We see all of these things happening to Jesus in the midst of his suffering all the way to the point where he is crucified, dead, and buried. And we see this this picture of, of suffering beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And so as as Pilate draws your attention to this man, Christ Jesus, this God-man, the Word made flesh, he's drawing your attention to this experience of, of suffering. And it's unimaginable, it's unparalleled, it's indescribable the way in which Christ suffered, bled, and and died on behalf of His people. You know, here in this Passion Week, remember we celebrated Palm Sunday this past Lord's Day as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem tonight being Good Friday where Jesus dies and is buried. 
And ultimately, looking towards Sunday, the resurrection morning, we see from Sunday, ultimately to Jesus' victory on Sunday, culminating in His humiliation and death on Good Friday, we see mental anguish, we see emotional anguish, we see exhaustion, depression, betrayal, forsakenness, fear, ridicule, we see all of these sufferings, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, and he, and he goes through it all so that we might have our eyes drawn to Him. Behold the man. I read in a book a number of years ago, I think it was actually in seminary, about the wounds inflicted on Christ in these hours. And medically, this book was saying that there's five different kinds of wounds or five classifications of wounds. And it says that Jesus Christ experienced every single one of them. And that's just scratching the surface because that is His physical, only His physical suffering. And I think that oftentimes we have this misunderstanding or we try to we try to soften the edges, if you will, on Jesus' suffering here on the cross of Calvary. And we try to say, well, yes, He was fully man, but because He was fully God, maybe He just didn't experience the, the pain in which we feel. No, beloved. Jesus wasn't receiving these blows and experiencing these sufferings as if it was a water off of a duck's back. It's actually that He felt this deeply. He suffered greatly and infinitely so. This experience of suffering as we have our eyes drawn to Christ for us as God's people should immediately declare to you this is the suffering, this is the pain that we actually deserve. You see, we can't look at the suffering of Jesus and not think that His experience of death is the experience that, that we rightly should take upon ourselves apart from God's mercy. We can't see the sufferings of Christ and, and not see what God in His kindness and in His grace has saved us from because his sufferings is actually our salvation. You remember our call to worship in Isaiah 53, right? That, that God the Father was pleased to place upon Christ the iniquities of us all. His sufferings served a purpose. And actually, I think that's the third thing that we need to see it's not just a statement of a facts or the facts or an experience of suffering, but it's also an invitation for us to admire and to worship this man, Christ Jesus. You know, Pilate here unknowingly, and I would argue probably grudgingly, is calling us to look upon Jesus with some sort of admiration, with a degree of awe. Because as you see, Pilate, you know, the chief prosecutor of the day, the best of the best prosecutor of the day even, as he tries Jesus there in his court before the people, he is looking for every way to proclaim him guilty. 
He says, if I can just proclaim him guilty in the, the eyes of Rome and in the eyes of these Jewish leaders, I can keep my job, essentially. It would be best for me to find him guilty. And yet, grudgingly, he says, I cannot find anything that this man is guilty of. He is innocent in every way. And I know that Pilate here is an unbelieving heathen. Let's just call it as we see it. Pilate is an unbeliever. And yet he knows that there is something different about this man that stands before him. That though he is facing a sinner's death, a death that is rightly given to the guilty, this man that stands before him is innocent in every way. And it's not just Pilate that makes this declaration. Actually, throughout the Passion Week, especially throughout the death of Jesus, seven people will proclaim that Jesus, though He died, was surely innocent. There is no fault in Him. So Pilate here is calling us not just to see that Jesus was truly man, not just to see Jesus beaten and broken, dying and being buried, but He is showing us this man, Jesus, who does not deserve what He is experiencing. There's no way to deny that Jesus is only standing here because this is the mission of God. Look at verse 11 with me. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You see, as the prophecy Isaiah says, it was the will of God to crush the Son. It was the will of God to crush the man, Jesus, the Word made flesh, it was all a part of the redemptive plan of the Father. As He elected some for glory, He says that there must be an atonement for sin. And Pilate is looking to you even this night and saying, Behold the man, Christ Jesus. Here He is, though He was innocent, dies the death of the guilty. He was a man, an ordinary man, and yet at the same time, he was an extraordinary man. It's an invitation to admire and to worship. And what is part of our worship? This is fourth and final. It's a call and an opportunity to repent. You know, it's here when we read about the, the humiliation, the suffering of the Lord Jesus it's right for us to feel devastated. It's right for us to feel the injustice. We read these things and we admire Christ because though He was innocent in our place, condemned He stood, sealing our pardon with His blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior, right? But before we can even worship or even stutter those words, hallelujah, what a Savior. We feel the devastation, the heaviness of our, of our sin. 
when, when, we, when we hold up the, the perfection and the sinlessness and the righteousness of Christ, and then we look up our unworthiness and we look upon our sinfulness and our wickedness, we, we sit there and we shout, how is this fair? Well, beloved, it's not. It's not fair. We see, though, Christ's active and passive obedience. Though He lived under the law and obedient to the law, He lays down His life as a ransom for many. You know, the, the temptation here for us is to look at Pilate, look at the Jewish leaders, look at these Romans who will pierce his hands and pierce his feet and hang him upon the cross. And it's easy for us to say, you know what, tisk, tisk, tisk. Man, look at you, a sinner. Look at you, unworthy of salvation. But if you have any wisdom at all, if you have any self-knowledge at all, you will say, it was my sin that held Christ there. And when we see that, beloved, when we see Christ in all of His perfection and yet shedding His blood as a ransom for all who will believe, when we see the, the hideousness, the guiltiness of our sin and the righteousness of Jesus, it is an opportunity. It's a call to Repent. It's a call to kill your sin, to change your ways, to reflect upon your own guiltiness, to, to remember the imperfections of, of your life, and yet to see the perfection and the righteousness of God. One of my favorite commentators says, Who can stand tall beside the cross? Better yet, who can stand at all? Who cannot but fall and say, woe is me, I am undone. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And yet, the invitation, the invitation of the Gospel is we don't have to just be devastated by our sin. But we get to hear Christ saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give, your, give you rest for your souls. We know that where there is sin and repentance, that there is also salvation and sanctification. We have to understand that the sufferings of our Lord and Savior Jesus is the perfect cover for our sins. Because Jesus, as He hangs upon the cross, we talk about this often, this double imputation happens where our sins are imputed to Christ and His righteousness is then imputed to us. Now, as the Father looks at us, He does not see our guiltiness and our unworthiness and our sinfulness, but no, He sees us standing in the perfect obedience of His Son. That's why the psalmist can say that as we come confessing our sins, God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Lord, takes our sins, casts them into the depths of the ocean, and remembers them no more. And you know, that is what we need to be reminded of this evening, especially as we gather around the Lord's table. Because when we think we're too far gone for God to forgive us, we need to hear the words of Pilate. Behold, the man 
Here is the God-man who is the perfect mediator, this singular mediator between God and man. And now, thanks be to God, there is no more condemnation that we dread because we have been reconciled to a holy Father. If we feel like we've been distanced from the Lord and we're hesitant to come to Him, the way back is through the person and the work of Jesus. We simply need to... Behold the man and see that this man is offered for all who will believe. And he will leave the 99 sheep to pursue the one so that we might be considered the children of God. You know, the more we get this, the more we will repent. The more we get this, the more that we'll draw near. The more that we get this, the more that we'll worship in faith. And the more we get this, the more we will live unto holiness. And the greatest news, I think, is is that this man in which Pilate draws our attention to, he was not just a man then, but he is a man, the Lamb who was slain forevermore. And just as the invitation for us to repent, to confess of our sins, to admire and worship this man, Christ Jesus, as He suffers and dies, as He experiences this humiliation in our place, it draws our attention to the victory in which He brings. Of course, at the resurrection on that first Easter Sunday, but even that victory power, that resurrection power that He experiences now as He sits upon the throne of heaven. Hear this from Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll Or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Beloved, behold the man, the Christ Jesus The Word made flesh who not only dies but is raised in victory, who sits upon the throne and reigns forevermore and invites us into His presence through worship and through the sacraments. May we receive them gladly, drawing our attention 
to glory where we will sit with Him forevermore and we will eat and feast to our field. And there we will worship the Lamb who was slain on behalf of His people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to this, Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that it would would show us Christ, that we would behold the man and that we would see His suffering and we would be reminded of our sin and yet at the same time be reminded of the Gospel that Jesus Christ bled and died, was buried so that our sins might be forgiven and then conquers death and hell on that first Resurrection Sunday so that we might have access to the throne room of mercy now and forevermore. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.